Hello and welcome to another episode of Des and Marco. I'm Marco. And I'm Des. I think we should do this the other way around next time because it's like Des and Marco and then Marco introduces himself. I think we, we should get the, the right order. It's a podcast. They can't see us. As far as they're concerned, you're Des and I'm Marco. <laughs> sure, whatever. Hello, Des. First things first, what are you drinking? Most of the world right now is in a heat wave. So I'm going for something which is going to be like really good in this hot weather. And it's a beer which I've um, not really had before. It's a brand new brewery. So the brewery is called Lemke Berlin. It's a new, I say new, established in 1998 craft brewery based in Berlin, microbrewery. And this is the Budeke Weisse, which is a Berliner style white beer. And I think the selling point of this is that it it's it undergoes secondary fermentation so it's got a bit of a yeast in the bottle Uh uh-huh secondary fermentation i don't know what that adds to a beer because obviously (laughs) i am an expert Mm -hmm. but you know white beer in the cold weather should be refreshing how about you well speaking of heat waves i am in italy at the moment and it's like ten thousand degrees and this joke works for both our American friends that talk in Fahrenheit and the rest of the world friends that talk in Celsius. It's really hot. And so I got I got a beer. It's like a lager, I guess. It's from an Italian craft brewery called Ex Fabrica and it's called Chara, which I guess is some dialect for like light beer, light as in blonde beer. And I like your you said high fermentation or something like that about your beer. I see that and I'll raise you an unfiltered, not pasteurized high fermentation. What exactly does that mean? I've no idea, but looking forward to trying it. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Right, let's get going because we have a very full schedule today. So, today we have a, a very special episode. Des recently bought a very hyped gadget, and he's going to talk about it in a little bit. I might as well come out and just say it, so that people listening for the review know that I am going to give an in-depth review of the Steam Deck, having had it for a couple of weeks and having put it through its paces. So stick around until the end of our news and to our main section if you want to hear an in-depth, unbiased review of the Steam Deck. Yes. And speaking of the news and speaking of very interesting gadgets, a new phone from a new brand came out and it's the Nothing Phone. So you may remember the brand Nothing, that's the name of it, from a very cool looking pair of wireless earbuds that were launched, uh, I believe, last year or the beginning of this year. I really can't remember. And the interesting thing about this brand is that one of their founders is Carl Pei, who was one of the founders of OnePlus. You'll remember OnePlus started off as the flagship killer and their whole business model was to give enthusiasts phones that had high-end specs for roughly half the price of rivaling flagship phone. And they were very successful, but as we usually see with these uh, business models, eventually the brand becomes its own enemy. And now they just make flagships at the same price and everything. Which I guess, you know, if you want to be profitable, that's probably the only way to go. 
Anyway, right from Carl Pei's hype playbook, so reveal a little bit of the time, make it difficult to buy, as in make it exclusive, maybe limit it to only a few people, and make bold claims like exactly he did with uh, OnePlus that it was the flagship killer. They came out with the Nothing phone, which is essentially a mid-range phone with a really cool and a really different looking design. Yeah, so I don't know where to start with this. Now, the reviews are out by people who do reviews of these gadgets for a living and have access to the phone, have seen it in person. For me, the take-home message is that the strategy has been slightly tweaked from the OnePlus days. As you mentioned, Carl Pei was there at the inception of OnePlus. A little bit of controversy in retrospect because he kept on claiming that it was a startup and not tied to Oppo and they were just renting the factory space. Turns out that was probably a massive lie and it was always a subsidiary of Oppo. Okay, let's put that aside. OnePlus has since been taken over completely by Oppo. It's merged completely. The OS, the, um, the inside of the phone, they're now essentially just a sub-branch of Oppo, like officially. There's no independence to them at all. And there's been a difference in, let's say, thought between Carl Pei and the other co-founder, and he went off to set up his own company, Nothing. Everyone's already made jokes on the name, so I'm not going to. Yeah, let's try not to go there. But then worth mentioning, so the phone is out July 22nd in selected markets. So for instance, one interesting thing is that this will not be available in the US. I think it's because of some certifications around like 5G. The interesting thing about this phone is that the back is transparent. So think late 90s tech where everything was kind of translucent. Like remember, I don't know, the things that come to mind are like the Game Boy and the Nintendo 64 with the colored transparent plastics. This is high-end materials like glass, but you can see the back of it. Uh, and it's very neat and it's very tidy. And the back of it has some interesting LEDs. So it lights up, which makes it stand out from the rest of the phone. Yeah, so not only is the back transparent, it's actually layered as well. They've put effort into making it almost like a 3D sculpture. The very back panel is obviously flat, and that's the transparent Gorilla Glass. Inside, it will have different layers for where the wireless charging coils are, where the NFC chip is. And then it will have this intricate layering of LED lights, which they call the glyph. And they all light up individually allowing to create various light patterns of varying intensity. Only in white, though. So it's not a multicolored LED. It's just a white LED. And the phone is available only in black and white, and then different cuts of memory and RAM. For a very attractive price. So the phone itself starts at 470 euro, which I guess is more or less the same in in pounds. Obviously, there's no price in dollars because it's not available in the US. And it's got like mid-range specs so you have a 7 series snapdragon which has been modified to accept wireless charging which you know what i haven't tried the phone myself but from all from what all the reviewers say it's more than enough for your average phone usage as in texting scrolling social media and such it might suffer a little bit under heavy loads like when gaming but honestly i don't know how many people game on their phone software side it looks super clean it's almost a base version of android with a very light skin on top which looks cool and 
Yeah, essentially it's only differentiators compared to other mid-range phones from like Samsung or OnePlus or whoever are the fact that it has lights on the back and that, in my opinion, looks really, really cool. I completely agree. You mentioned the specs and I think it's worth mentioning that there are lots of options in the mid-range price bracket of very well-performing phones. And we've mentioned this in previous episodes that a mid-range Android phone is very good nowadays. It probably loses out on things like wireless charging, which is, let's say, maybe a quality of life improvement, and the camera, which I would also argue is a quality of life improvement, but quite important to me. The one thing I really need to give credit to Carl Pay for is, A, well done on the hype campaign, because there is no doubt that if you're even remotely interested in tech, you will have heard of this phone. Yeah, or if you're me, you want one. (laughs) Even if the phone that you currently have is much better in probably every way. But this is what I'm getting to. So all phones nowadays are the same. I have a OnePlus. I've got a OnePlus 8 Pro. When I bought my phone, I looked at all the alternatives and they were identical. Yeah. They all had the curved OLED screen, 120 hertz refresh rate. They all had the top end processor. They all had good cameras. You could nitpick on which ones were better, which ones were worse. They all had a glass back, they all had wireless charging, and they were all roughly six inches or more in size. They were all identical. There was nothing separating them. Yeah, and the only thing you could choose was basically if you wanted to spend 800-ish euro or pounds or a thousand from whatever Apple and Samsung were offering. The fact that this one has gone and broken the mold and decided to create something fun for no other reason than being fun, I commend that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm all for a new brand trying to do something different. I think it's very bold that they went for a mid-range phone rather than a high-end phone because it's less profitable and the market is really crazy there. You could literally buy a phone from any brand and they're good. All the phones are pretty much good now, but, you know, 400, 500 euro, that's where the Xiaomi's, the Oppo's, Apple has something in it. Samsung has loads of offering. OnePlus Nords are there. Every brand has a lot to offer in that. And basically, you just have to pick what's a priority for you. As in, around that price, you could buy the Pixel 6a, and that's got a better screen and a better camera. A Samsung maybe has something better. It's all about trade-offs in the end. And this one, the way they decided to go is with good design. That's ballsy. So I'm curious to see where where they go. But their marketing so far, I think, has been very effective. Yeah, for that price, I don't know. If I was in the market for something around four or 500 euro, I might choose that one. The only thing you mentioned it earlier is that the only thing, let's say, stopping me from buying it is that right now I've gotten used to having a really good camera on my phone and I don't think I could go back to an average one. For me personally, I am very tempted and if it's discounted, I wouldn't mind giving it a go. However, on the 10th of August, I think, it's going to be Samsung's next event, and they've already teased a new foldable, or an upgraded foldable, I should say. So I might wait before making any rash decisions. (laughs) Yeah, you could either get Samsung's latest uh, Galaxy Fold, or for the same price, you could get three nothing phones. Whatever. (laughs) There's just one fun fact is you might know the brand, the brand. So essentially they make skins that you can buy and apply to your own phone. 
which is interesting because not everybody wants a case, but you kind of want the safety of a case so that your phone doesn't get scratched. But they made a series of skins called the Something skin, which is clearly a spoof of the Nothing phone. It basically, you apply a skin to your, let's say, Galaxy or iPhone or whatever, and it makes it look like the Nothing phone. So instead of buying that phone, you could just buy the skin. You don't have the cool lights in the back, but it's pretty much the same. Yeah, I, I did see those skins. And one thing I need to commend dbrand for is that they didn't just copy the design of the nothing phone and slap it onto any other sort of phone. The phone design is unique to each model that they support. So it does the same thing of showing where the wireless charging cables would be and the NFC and, and, yeah. and slightly alters it. And it also helps that most phones have a very similar design. So it's not that much of an amazing thing that they've done. Quickly going on to the phones, which are slightly different. Michael Fisher, who is a YouTuber known as Mr. Mobile, who, by the way, tweeted to us at Des and Marco and said our podcast is awesome. Sort of. I'm paraphrasing. Good friend of the podcast. Longtime lurker, first time caller or whatever they say. <laughs> he reviewed free phones, which are not available in the US because, again, I think certification issues drive the costs up, so people are unwilling to commit to that market. One of them, which was really cool, is a phone which I suspect is made in China but is popular in South America of a brand called Techno. Very mid-range. I've never heard of them myself. But they made yeah. a special edition inspired by the artist Mundane who makes those geometric squares with black borders and very bright colors mm -hmm. yeah, yeah in collaboration with i think the museum of modern art of boston or something like that i can't remember and the cool thing about this special edition phone is that the actual packaging looks like a mundane painting like you open up a big white box with different colored boxes inside of it it looks really cool and the back panel is white with again a grid-like pattern of squares of different sizes so white squares with black borders. But when you take it out into sunlight, they become colored. Yes, I saw it. Kind of like, remember the, the Hot Wheels cars that we used to have when we were kids? That if you put it in like cold water, it was one color. And if you put it in hot water, it was another. So this is the same, but with UV light. And sorry, I made a mistake before. Not Mondain, Mondrian. Sorry, my mistake. Got the watches and the artists confused. <laughs> Yeah, and it was a very interesting video that he made. He compared that one, the Nothing Phone. He didn't cover it in much depth because, again, not sold in the US. Another one that he mentioned was the Asus ROG Phone 6, I believe, which is a super high-end phone targeted at gamers. Probably never going to be on my shopping list. But the interesting thing about that phone, apart from being crazy when it comes to specs, two USB-C ports so you can charge and hold the phone at different angles. The unique thing about that phone is that it has a secondary LED display on the back just for animations and messages and yep. stuff like that. And it kind of comes across like a ticker tape and it can be personalized. I guess in the extreme gaming community, these people, it's all about customizations. Yeah, exactly. But I, you know what? Seriously, I would love to understand whether that's something that does appeal to the average gamer or not. Because if you also look at gaming laptops, they're always way over the top with LED lights and RGB keyboards and everything has to light up and everything has to be like neon lights and everything. 
So both of us own a Razer laptop. I would have loved not to have the bright green snake logo that lights up on the back. Like I would have preferred a much cleaner design, but everything gamer basically has extra lights and extra screens all over the place. I'm actually curious to know whether gamers really like that or really want that from their products. But anyway, that's, uh, I digress. In other news, grab your popcorn because the Elon buying Twitter saga continues. So in recent news, Elon Musk has tried to bail from acquiring Twitter, which he agreed to a, a couple of months back for something around like $40 billion because Twitter was allegedly providing false and misleading information around spam and bot accounts. One of the things that Elon Musk had vowed to solve was getting rid of spam and bot accounts. The reason behind that is because essentially you can't make money off of them. You can only make money off of regular people <laughs> or regular users, let's say. The value of the acquisition was very much dependent on the percentage of bot accounts, which was allegedly around 5%, or at least that's the information that Twitter had provided. Musk is now saying that they provided false and misleading information and therefore is trying to bail from that. Thing is, <laughs> once you enter, in this case, it's a merger agreement officially, but it's basically an acquisition. Once you enter that, like you're supposed to do your due diligence beforehand, not after you've agreed to buy the thing. So Twitter in, is retaliating by taking legal action against Elon Musk, saying we have a contract, you go ahead with it. One thing I think which is important to mention is that since the offer was put on the table and the, let's say, documents were signed, the agreed acquisition price was for $54.20 per share. And Twitter stock has tumbled significantly since then. If he was to, let's say, renegotiate the price, Rumor has it he may be looking for a discount, but apparently he's just walking. He wants to walk away. The Twitter legal team is trying to force him to go through with his acquisition, i.e. pay the full price that he had promised. But apparently there was a break clause of $1 billion, which is still yeah. big money. I'm not entirely sure what the legal team is pushing for. Are they pushing for the acquisition to go through? Because there is no legal reason for him not to continue. And buyer's remorse is not a legal reason to not continue <laughs> with a purchase. And the other option is, are they just trying to enforce the one billion break clause? Yeah, I think one or the other. But because Elon Musk looks like he's just trying to get out of it, which is a little bit interesting because he got investors to help him out he like it's not something you just walk out of but uh, there was also an example of typical Elon Musk behavior the current Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal Agrawal he made a series of tweets regarding spam accounts and how Twitter themselves they're not profiting from these accounts and they also harm the experience for regular users like me and you also at Desen Marco and so it's within Twitter's interest to get rid of them and to remove said account. They're actively doing that. And Elon Musk responded with a, a tweet of his own, a poo emoji. <laughs> so mature. Yes, very mature in uh, Elon Musk style. I think this is a gift that keeps on giving. It's definitely not over. And so stay tuned. We've mentioned this YouTube channel before, but again, I highly recommend it. There's an explainer video from Legal Legal. So again, this lawyer that 
explains legal stuff on YouTube. Uh, it's very good. It explains it in details, like 20 minutes. We'll link it to the description. Next up, so you remember a few months ago, we, we talked about the James Webb Space Telescope and how it had launched and how it was going to take a, f a couple of months to unfold and to set up. So finally, they published the first images. They look amazing. I am not an astronomer, so I really don't know what I'm looking at, or I'm not really, I cannot understand whether it's something groundbreaking or it's something that we've never seen before. It's basically your plain image of like stars and they look really cool. There's like nebulas and different galaxies. It's really nice looking. I don't know whether it's any different compared to what we've seen before, but that's not the point. What I wanted to talk about is I'm amazed by how a space telescope, which isn't exactly the most attractive thing in the world, I'm amazed by how popular these images are and how they've become part of popular culture. I found it interesting that the first image was actually shared by President Biden, but then also all sorts of celebrities like Mia Farrow, like Brian May, the guy from Queen, who, by the way, I discovered is an astronomer, like he has a PhD, yeah. he's really into this stuff, and he's actually contributed to NASA projects. He also talked about it. Yeah, it's just like really, I just find it interesting how many celebrities who have nothing to do with astronomy are hyped about this. Yeah, and talking about public hype. I don't want to get political in the slightest, but the political spectrum in America at the moment seems to be very divided. And a survey was put out to a sample population of Americans from all backgrounds. Mm -hmm. The question was whether the $10 billion cost for the space telescope was a good investment. The overwhelming majority said yes, which I thought was quite refreshing. Yeah, that's cool. Because also NASA throughout the years has always suffered budget cuts because whatever they do isn't really helpful. But that's that's interesting. Anyway, and then the last piece of news, because this one is near and dear to my heart, is so do you, you know Wordle, right? Yeah. So they it's like this word game that recently got it's a silly little app. It's not silly. I have got a 100% record on Wordle and I have got something like a 96 day streak. And I don't know, I've, I've done more, but my streak is 96 days, but I've, I've missed a few days because of work. It's a very important part of modern life. <laughs> so again, very present in popular culture. So it's basically this game where you have to guess a five letter word and it gives you little clues, like if you get a letter right or wrong. But anyway, became very popular to the point that it was acquired by the New York Times. And there have been a number of copycat apps where not necessarily you have to guess a five-letter word, but there's others. Like, for example, two that I like are Worldo, where you get the picture of a country, of the map of a country, and you have to guess what country it is, and you've got like five or six... Uh, tries and it tells you for instance i don't know if it's argentina and you guess chile it'll point like that the country that you have to guess is whatever many kilometers east and so it kind of gives you clues but anyway i love that one but then another one that i used to love was hurdle which is a music guessing game which ran off of soundcloud so basically the way it worked is that you would get one second of a song and you had to guess what song it was as you got it wrong let's say you would get more time to listen to the song. So the first round was one second, the second one was like two, then four, then eight, whatever. But it was very fun. It's also amazing to know 
how little of a song it takes for you to guess it because some songs you just know some others i have no idea but anyway it was really fun i used to play it every day but it was acquired by spotify who are i think trying to integrate it into their own app but i hate them so much because they made it available <laughs> like it's no longer available in the netherlands for for now so i cannot play it anymore after their acquisition because they said that today we're starting with users in the US, UK, Ireland, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Great. They, they spend money and they take it away from me. So I hate them so much. But Des, this is it. I'm done with the news. Let me take a deep breath. <laughs> but you, you finally received it. So you finally received your Steam Deck. Where do you want to begin? Let's start at the beginning of this journey. <laughs> um, just a brief reminder that the Steam Deck was announced almost a year ago and then the pre-orders went live on a random thursday i think it was and i put my reservation in four hours after it went live and i would have done it earlier had there not been issues with the payment and then i had to go do something so i did it afterwards regardless despite ordering within four hours of the window that put me let's say in q2 so they already got so many orders that they couldn't fulfill them within the first three months of when they were planning on delivering there was one delay because of the pandemic and supply chain issues and ever since then they've been coming out regularly and the cool thing is that valve the company which makes the steam deck has managed to stick to the timetable that's not true. You were supposed to receive it in the second quarter of the year and you received it in July. I was supposed to receive it in the second quarter, but because of that initial delay, I got pushed into Q3. But okay. in all fairness, I received it literally the first week of Q3. Yeah. Am I right in saying that they were very clear in their communication or at least like you more or less knew when you were going to receive it or like they kept you updated? They didn't really give me much information. So they're very transparent with all their sort of pricing. And, um, you know, you put a $5 deposit down or equivalent, and that's fully refundable. And then they gave you like that four month window, like Q1, Q2, Q3, etc. I didn't hear much, but they told you that you will receive an email either on the Monday or on the Thursday and deliveries go out accordingly. They didn't really tell you where you were in the queue. But one thing which they did again really well, and the, the community is incredible with lots of people who are really passionate and really into all of this. And you could put your order number into a website, which was made by the community. So it's like a tool. You put the model that you ordered, you put the region that you ordered it from. It gave you a very accurate prediction of when you would receive it, when you would receive the email. And mine was correct down to like the hour. Oh, wow. That's yeah, cool. incredible, considering it's a community-made tool. Anyway. Back to it. What's, the, what's it like? What's the hardware like? Let's start from that. First of all, just a reminder for the audience, the Steam Deck is basically a handheld portable PC. It's not the first company to attempt this, but it says the first mainstream company which is building this. A lot of comparisons have made calling this a Switch rival, because the Switch is probably the most well-known portable gaming device. Yeah, The Steam Deck is probably more focused towards gaming, but it is a portable PC and it runs Linux. And that's because Valve as a company have been trying to, let's say, move away from the limitations of Windows. They're not big fans of the Windows ecosystem. I have got visual props with me. Okay, so you guys can't see, but Marco Great can. job, Des, bringing visual props to a podcast. 
I did just say <laughs> you can't see it, but it's really to emphasize the difference between the Steam Deck and the Switch, and I have both. Now, the Steam Deck, I would have to argue that its build quality is solid. It's really sort of a properly well-built device, but it doesn't feel very premium. It does use very plastic materials, which are quite prone to attract fingerprints. Whereas, for example, the Switch, which is also made of plastic, it's got that sort of, not rubberized, but it's kind of got like a matte finish, and it just feels like higher quality plastics. Oh, like, uh, like a ThinkPad? I don't know if you... Yeah, sort of like a ThinkPad. So okay. the, the Steam Deck has a bit more standard plastic, so it, it does attract fingerprints like a magnet. Okay. Imagine a Switch with two Joy-Cons on either end. That's how wide it is. The screen is a little bit bigger than that of a Switch, and the resolution is, I think, 1,200 by 800 pixels. So it's technically an 800p device. The screen is very vibrant. It's an IPS panel, very crisp. In terms of inputs, this is where the Steam Deck really differentiates itself from anything else in the market. You've got your standard four buttons. You've got your D-pad in the top left. You've got two thumbsticks. Yeah. They are probably the best thumbsticks I have ever used. Oh, it's got oh. two shoulder buttons and then two trigger buttons. And the trigger buttons in particular are also very, very good. They've got sort of like a, a graded effect. So, you know, pressure sensitive. And at the back, just for completeness, you've also got four back panel buttons, which are super handy. And then the key differentiator is that it's got these two trackpads on the front, which uses the same technology which they used on their Steam controller. All oh, right. That was a disaster, though, right? The Steam controller was a disaster, but the tech was good. Okay. So these trackpads are super versatile because they mimic a mouse and they've got haptics associated with them and they're clickable. And I have to admit, I didn't expect it to be one of my favorite features of this device, but one of, let's say, the limitations of joypads in general and thumbsticks is that, for example, in shooters and anything where you use a mouse, you are limited by, let's say, the drag of the joypad. And, you, you know, you can't accelerate, you can't move slowly. That, that fine movement is lost. You know, the, the mimicking yeah. of a mouse where you can, like, kind of swipe quickly or move slowly and, you know, that's yeah. lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I've been noticing it a lot. I mean, me and you have been playing a lot of Wolfenstein lately on the PC, and I couldn't believe how much easier it is to play a first-person shooter with a mouse rather than a controller. But anyway, yeah. I digress. And this is the perfect in-between, because you've got such precision with the trackpad that you can just move around with the trackpad and use the trigger buttons to shoot, and it just feels natural. Yeah, okay, I get it. That looks awesome. Or at least that sounds awesome. Uh, does it have a, like a, does it vibrate? Does it have ha haptics? Yeah, it's got haptics. I have to admit, they're there. That's pretty much all I can say. So any games which have like rumble in them, which is most of them, you will feel it. But, you know, the Switch is, has got, it's got a fancy name. It's got HD rumble or something like that. On the Switch, the, the, the rumble effect, the haptics are incredible and nothing has matched it. This is your basic haptics and it's fine. It does the job, but... I'm not going to write home about it. It's there. Other things to comment on is that the audio is really good for such a handheld device. Really surprised me. Okay. One thing which is maybe both good and bad is that it relies solely on a single USB port for everything from charging to connecting like a USB-C hub, which will allow you to connect mm -hmm. it to pretty much any peripheral you can imagine. Monitors, HDMI, 
SD cards, USB devices, anything you can imagine, it will handle with aplomb. Okay, so let's move on to the software. So you said it runs a custom version of Linux. Yes, so out of the box, when you turn on the machine, you will be introduced to SteamOS, which is Valve's version of Linux, which is minimally modified. In handheld mode, I have to admit, it's pretty much like using any other console. The menus are really simple. It's clear what works, what doesn't work. They're easy to navigate and super intuitive. So in handheld mode, which is what I suspect the majority of users will use this device, it's mm -hmm. really, really good. There is a button where you can change it and change it to desktop mode. And that's when you realize this is a PC. Yeah. And it feels like a completely different device, which is quite frankly incredible. I um, connected it to a Bluetooth keyboard and a Bluetooth mouse. It recognized them literally with no problems, very simple to do. And then there I was using Linux desktop, like any other distribution, and it was incredible. But therein lies my, let's say, not complaint, but maybe warning. Linux is still Linux. And if you're, let's say, not tech savvy, it's not the most user friendly. Yeah, okay. But that's kind of expected. I mean, this is not meant to be a mainstream device, I guess. That's the point. If it's not meant to be a mainstream device, why do you make it? And I think it will introduce more people to Linux. And as I said, if you use it, let's say vanilla, without tweaking it too much, it's still incredibly usable. But if you want to do more PC-like stuff, do not expect it to act like a portable laptop. Mm -hmm. You can do everything, but if you're not savvy or you're not experienced with Linux, it will take you longer. But then you could argue that if you want to use it as a laptop, why would you on such a small screen? As in, either use your phone or get an actual laptop. I would agree. But at the same time, the performance that you get for the, the cost of this device, it will probably match a lot of laptops out there. So the price, I've got the mid-tier model, which is uh, 256 gigs. Yeah, that put me back around 450 pounds or like roughly $500. If you're looking at the competition made by other companies such as the Aya Neo and stuff like that, these are companies which I hadn't heard about before until I read about Steam Deck and competitors. Yeah. And they start at a price which is at least double. Mm, right. Okay. And the Gabe Newell, who's the CEO and pretty legendary founder of Valve, he even said that the price point was painful. So it sounds like they're probably selling these at cost or minimal profit. Yeah, but since it's essentially a PC in the, in the body of a Nintendo Switch, does it work with, um, you know, we talked about the rise of streaming like Xbox, xCloud or whatever it's called, or you're a big fan of GeForce now. Does it work with that? If you have, for example, a Mac or um, a normal Windows laptop, you can download dedicated apps to run xCloud and GeForce Now and pretty much anything. Native apps for Linux do not exist. However, there is a workaround. And both Microsoft and NVIDIA have official instructions on their web pages of how to use their services with the Steam Deck. And the okay. workaround is to use the Chrome browser or the Edge browser, and then right. go to the browser versions of these services, and you can install it as a non-Steam game within SteamOS, and then you can even launch it in handheld mode. Again, for every step that you need to do manually, I think you're going to lose a couple of customers, and some people will have problems. The more steps it takes you to do, you'll probably lose a couple of customers. You know what I mean? Like, you have to tweak it a little bit. Yeah, of course. Okay. 
So these things do work. And I've used both xCloud and GeForce Now. And I have been blown away that I'm playing these AAA titles via cloud gaming on a device, which is, you know, great for the battery life of the device because you're not actually forcing the local processor to push to the limit. Right, exactly. Because it's not running on the device. It's streaming from the device. Yeah, exactly. And Hmm. I've got good internet at home, so the input lag is essentially non-existent. But anyway, this leads me on to the performance. And the best way I can summarize it is that the performance of this device is essentially the power of a PS4 in a handheld format. Wow, that's great. Do not expect to hook this up to a monitor and play AAA titles in 4K. You can connect it to a 4K monitor, but obviously the more pixels you need to push and process, the more strain you're putting on the chipset. And the chipset, you know, it has got its constraints in terms of the GPU, the format, etc., etc. But when you're only pushing 800p, which is the native resolution of the screen, you will find that it can push a lot. Yeah, and I guess that's the advantage, is that the the resolution isn't crazy high, and so it's easier to run with good graphics on it. And I guess you can argue that you don't really, on on a screen that size, you don't need much. Like, you don't need a better resolution. You can, it's already at the limit of what the human eye can see. Exactly. The pixel density is still really high because the screen is relatively small. So the images still come across as really crisp, but the process is not having to work as hard to deliver the same sort of visual effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What's the battery like? It's the one sore note. If you're playing indie games, it will give you four hours or more. So if you're playing simple games and not taxing games, four hours, which I think is decent, mediocre at best. However, if you're playing more demanding titles, you can really push it into that sub two hour window. Okay, so kind of like a Switch in the end. I think maybe a bit worse than a Switch. But what is different is that obviously for a Switch, all games are optimized out of the box. I don't know what work Nintendo does. Whereas because this is like a PC, I've not had to tweak much. But to help boost battery life, they've got some very helpful toggles which are really easy to access. So you can do them on the fly whilst you're playing. You can limit the frames per second you can limit the screen refresh rate you can limit the gpu wattage output you can add fsr upscaling which is a ai tech which kind of pushes let's say a lower resolution image but then uses ai to upscale Mm, yeah so that means the processor is working less and this is all basically to increase the longevity of the battery life and you can do these all on the fly but as i said before for every bit you need to tweak you probably lost a couple of customers yeah and that's what makes it a bit more a device for enthusiasts yeah enthusiasts regarding battery life just before the episode we were we were chatting about it and you said that it's a little bit bigger than a nintendo switch and that kind of makes it less portable and you envisioned it as a device, not really something you would just throw into your backpack and take out when you're commuting to work or whatever. But it is something that allows you to play in essentially every room of your house. Or if you go somewhere on holidays for a week, that might be something that you take with you. So maybe, I guess, from what you're saying, it's more a device that you keep at home and you're never really far from a charger at home. Bang on. I don't know about you, but we're adults and I spend a lot of my time in front of a computer during the day anyway. In my spare time, I'm not really that inclined to sit in front of another computer, even though I do enjoy it if I, you know, if I'm otherwise not working. Yeah. 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 
So the fact that I can play this on the couch and on the bed is a game changer, which was maybe the Switch's selling point as well. You're not sat necessarily in front of a TV. You can play it wherever, but you're mostly going to play it in the house or, you know, somewhere where you're sheltered. You're not really playing it out in the elements. And when you've got that kind of, let's say, device, the fact that it's a little bit bigger than a Switch, and it doesn't really matter because, as you said, I'm not tight for space. I'm not taking this to, you know, to work on the bus. I'm not cycling and playing this at the same time. You know what I mean? So from that point of view, it's great. Just a quick note about the battery. The battery life doesn't concern me too much because, as you said, I can play it plugged in from anywhere in the house. I'm always close to a socket. The battery is actually pretty good in terms of management because it charges quickly. And when it's plugged in, there is enough wattage in the USB-C input to charge the battery and power the device at the same time. So you're not putting strain on the battery. So the device is being powered purely from the, the plug. Yeah, purely from the plug, not from the battery. And when the battery is full, it's again powered purely from the plug. So the battery is never mm. under strain, which is good for the longevity of it. Nice. All right. So let's get to your, your verdict. Yeah. So as I said before, it's linked to your Steam account and it's a PC. So from the get go, I had a massive library. Now, I can't remember how many games I've got exactly on Steam. I've got games which are spanning 30 years or more because like games which were, let's say, released before I was born have been upgraded or whatever and put on Steam and I have bought them at some point in time. Now, of that roughly 400 games, I would say 100 are deck verified. So does that mean the other ones you can't play them on the deck? No. So the deck verified games have been tested and are known to be working good on the Steam Deck. But then you've got the other games which are plain and simply untested. They will probably work, but they may need some tweaking. Okay. An important thing to mention is that if you're into competitive gaming and you're playing online multiplayer games, that's one area where the Steam Deck isn't great because the anti-cheat software doesn't work well with Linux and that remains an issue which I am sure they will fix because one thing to Valve's credit is that they've released a lot of updates for this device. And if you look at the initial reviews, there'll be complaints of things like fan noise and other little bugs. And Mm -hmm. they've essentially all been ironed out already. Okay. Well, that's good to see that it is getting support and it is getting improved. Incredible support. One thing I would recommend if you do get one of these devices, there is a mini game, so to speak, made by valve called aperture desk job and it's set in the portal universe aperture being the company which made the villains in the portal games yeah it's a great showcase of all the controls of the steam deck and it was specifically made for the steam deck it only takes 30 minutes or so but it will literally introduce you and allow you to play around with the deck's controls which are its selling point and i definitely recommend it So my final verdict is that if you are a tech or PC savvy enthusiast, this is a definite yes. Okay. If you love tinkering and the versatility that this machine offers, it's also a yes. Its biggest achievement, in my opinion, is that it has made me reconsider where I make my purchases. Because remember, we both love Hades, the indie RPG roguelike. And we both made the conscious decision of buying it on the Switch so that we could play it on the go or in bed or whatever. Yeah. Not the same bed, though. (laughs) No, not the same bed. Separate beds. (laughs) I think it's achieved 
what it set out to achieve, i.e. it allows you to play PC games anywhere. Yeah, and I guess that's its goal. And from what you're saying, it succeeds at that. Again, word of caution, Linux will be unfamiliar to most people, but it's not a deal breaker as SteamOS, especially in the handheld mode, is super simple. And another caveat is good luck getting one because even though production has ramped up, you're looking at a one-year wait list as it stands. What? One year? For real? For real. Jeez. Okay. Well, all right. I was, I, you had me almost convinced. Now <laughs> I don't know anymore. I mean, let's see if the world manages to sort out its supply chain issues, among other ones, because, you know, global warning, war, war in Ukraine and so on. But anyway, um, all right. Well, that it sounds awesome. It's a very good device that it's very appealing, at least to someone like me. Yeah, maybe when the waiting lines or waiting times become a bit shorter, I might consider one. Okay, and before we sign off this episode, Marco, how was your beer? Right, so I have an Italian beer from the ex Fabrica brewery, craft brewery, called Chara. Again, unfiltered, not pasteurized, high fermentation. It's very good. I mean, the only bad thing about it is that it got really warm during the episode. So it uh, was nice and fresh at the beginning and now not so much. But anyway, it's like a um, golden yellow beer. It's very fresh, a little bit bitter, but very fresh. Quite hoppy, but it's at the same time like very light beer. I really liked it. I think I'm going to give it four and a half out of a six pack. It's just a very good summer beer. I really enjoyed it. What about you? My um, Boudicca Weisse from the Lemke Brewery in Berlin, it's a beer which undergoes secondary fermentation, i.e. you can see some yeast inside the bottle. Because of that ongoing fermentation, as you leave it, it becomes more and more sour. And it is a sour beer. It's a sour white beer. To its credit, it's not very sour. And that means it goes down really well because it's a white beer. So it's quite nice in the heat. That slight acidity just gives it like it cuts through all the flavors. So I like it. I'm not usually a fan of sour beers, but this one's quite nice to sip. Yeah. From that point of view, I would give it a four out of a six pack. Nice. So two very solid beers today. Very good for the heat wave that we're suffering through in Europe at least. Just a little recap, a lot on the news lately. The Nothing phone is out, new phone from a new brand, and it's very interesting to see the different direction it took. Elon Musk buying Twitter saga continues, so grab your popcorn because it's going to continue for a little while. We've seen the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope and they look great, but most importantly, I'm amazed to see the way it's being portrayed in pop culture. And finally, Stupid Spotify acquired one of my favorite games, Hurdle, and made it immediately no longer available in the country where I live in. But the main part of our show today was Des and his thoughts of the awesome Steam Deck, which is essentially a handheld PC to play games. Great if you're tech savvy and you love to tinker with computers, not so much if you just want to sit and turn on your console and play a game. Anyway, looking forward to maybe getting one in the future, although they, it has a very long waiting list. On that bombshell, Des, I'm gonna go hug an aircon now and I'll speak to you next time. See you next time, guys.
a pull emoji.